going to hit pause on our sermon series through the book of Philippians and really uh, take some time to let God's Word encourage us as families. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 6. If you want to grab your Bible and head that way, uh, Numbers chapter 6, looking at some of the most beautiful verses, I think, in the entire Bible. We're going to be looking at Numbers 6, verse 22 through 27. And th- this particular passage of Scripture is called um, the blessing of Aaron, or Aaron's blessing. Um, it was a blessing that God gave to the priest that the priests were to give to the people. And it's probably some of the, the most recognizable verses in the Bible, but for many of us, you're going to recognize these verses because a few years ago, a song came out called The Blessing, uh, and, and by Kerry uh, Job and, and Cody Carnes, and they wrote this song called The Blessing, and it hit right about the time COVID hit. Uh, a, a few years ago. And so what happened was you had everything shut down and people were engaging mostly online. This song is released online and it blows up. It blows up. I think it's been viewed about 7 million, or excuse, excuse me, 70 million times on uh, YouTube. It's been translated into 12 or 13 languages. It just exploded. And it's the words right from Numbers 6. And what I want you to know, before Cody Carnes and Carrie Job sang it, God gave it and spoke it into the lives of his people. And these verses in Numbers chapter 6 have been spoken and sung in Jewish homes and synagogues for 3,000 years. Let's consider that for a moment. They've been spoken in the church and over one another in the lives of believers from the earliest days of the church. And this blessing of Aaron in Numbers chapter 6 is really some of the most important verses historically. When you consider biblical history, they're some of the most important. Here's why. Um, They were, this is one of the oldest uh, poems in the Bible, and it is one of the oldest surviving biblical inscriptions ever discovered. In 1979, an archaeologist by the name of um, Gabriel Barquet, Gabriel Barquet was doing an archaeological dig in what they call Old City Jerusalem, and he comes across a collapsed tomb. This is in 1979, and they're doing this dig at this collapsed tomb, and they come across what comes to be known as the Ketef Hinnom Silver Scrolls. And it was two tiny little silver scrolls about this tall, really small. And they took those little silver scrolls that they discovered in this tomb that dated back all the way to 700 B.C. That's how far back these go. 700 B.C. And for the next few years, they, they're trying to restore them. They're cleaning them. They begin to analyze them and unroll them. And as they unroll them, here's what is written on the silver scrolls from 700 B.C. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face. Right? It's the words of Numbers chapter 6. And so this is the, one of the oldest poems in the Bible and most important blessings. And it's a great poem to speak over your kids. And as I thought about this blessing in this poem, I thought, you know, we really do speak some weird poems over our children. I just, we, we speak some weird stuff into the lives of our children. Here, I'll, I'll give you a few uh, examples. Um, uh, Ring around the rosy, pocket full of what? Posy. 
Ashes to ashes, we all fall down. Now, if you don't know where that comes from, you think it's no big deal. That is actually from the Black Plague. That's where that was born. They believed that if you put posy in your pocket, it would protect you from getting sick. So they would sing, ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy. The morbid part was ashes to ashes, we all fall down. Because do you know what they did if you passed away from the Black Plague? They burned your body, right? That's super. I used to hold hands with my friends. Ring around, body, you do. Just singing about the plague. No big deal. That's what we did. That's what we did. How about another one? Um, Rockabye baby. Where do we put the baby? That's not where babies go. Because what happens? The wind blows, the bow breaks, and down comes the baby all the way. All right, mamas, don't put your babies in trees. They don't go there. And then there was the, ble- the, the prayer that we teach. So many of us teach our kids. I've probably done it with my kids. So we're all equally guilty. So I don't want anybody going, I'm a terrible parent. We've all done it, all right? When we've said, um, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul. If I die before I wake. In other words, the last thought in my child's mind before they go to sleep is, this could be the one. <laughs> May not wake up tomorrow. If that happens to be the case, Lord, I hope you'll pick me up and take me home, right? Kind of morbid. But this poem, this blessing, this prayer that we see in number six is actually a prayer of blessing, right? In number chapter six, these verses were used as what they call a benediction. A benediction was this moment at the end of their worship in the tabernacle. So they would worship in the tabernacle. The people would come in, they would pray, they would bring their offerings, they would offer their sacrifices, and they would worship... And then at the end, the priest would stand before them and he would lift his hands over them and he would speak these words of blessing to the people. And the benediction, it wasn't just given to um, help them feel good before they left. That wasn't the point. The point of the benediction was to position them and to prepare them to be sent out in God's presence. That's what it was. That's what the benediction was for. It served as this sending reminder of God's presence with his people and his blessing on them. And so these words may be familiar to us, but my prayer is that we don't miss the meaning. Here's what I've prayed for you this week. It is my hope for you and for your family that you will feel deeply loved by God today. Deeply loved by God that you would experience his blessing for you through the ministry of his word to you? Because what we're going to see in these verses is the heart of God on full display for us. And as we see that, my prayer is that you, wherever you are, will feel deeply loved by God. So grab your Bible. Let's go to Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. If you're already there, let me hear you say, the Bible is true. Here's what God's word says. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen? I want you to picture this. Can you picture now that moment at the end of tabernacle worship? Can you picture the priest standing over the people and and saying this benediction blessing to them? You got that picture in your mind. The Lord bless you and keep you. Here's why. Because what I want us to see this morning is that in the lives of our children, we have the opportunity to be like these priests. We have the opportunity with our children to teach and to instruct and to, to foster hearts of worship and to remind them of God's presence with them and his blessing on them. That's what we have the opportunity to do. You know, the Darby family's in a unique season. My daughter will graduate college this fall. My sons are starting their senior year this fall, and we are, we are very close <laughs> to empty nesters. Some of you know what that feels like, and I'm going to need to sit with you and visit about my feelings because, right, I don't know that I'm ready, but we're in this season where we see a transition coming, and I think I am more aware than ever before that in my parenting relationship with my children, there's a benediction coming. Not that I, not that I cease to be their dad, but there's this season of transition. There's this moment of sending them out. There's this benediction that is coming. And the question I've wrestled within myself is this, have I taught my children how to walk in that blessing? That God is with them, that he is for them. Have I taught them how to, how to have I fostered that blessing in them? What I want us, the question I really want us to answer is this, what would it look like for this to be the benediction the sending blessing that we establish in the hearts of our children. What would that look like? So wherever you are, if your children are grown and gone, you can still build this blessing into them. You can still speak this life into them. What would that look like? So what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes and unpack this poem. This poem is given to us in three lines, and so we're just going to take it in the three lines that we are given it. Let's look at the first line. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you. That word bless is the Hebrew word barak, B-A-R-A-K, and it carries the idea of receiving uh, special favor from the Lord. That's what that is. That's what that word means, that we've received special favor. Now, we use the word bless all the time, right? If you get an unexpected bonus at work, oh, the Lord has blessed me, right? We also use it, and I don't think we mean bless when we say it. For instance, when somebody does something silly or kind of foolish, and we look at them and we go, oh, bless their, what, heart, right? Bless their little heart. You know, a lot of times I don't think we actually mean bless their heart, because I feel like what we're saying is, you just did something dumb, but I can't call you dumb in public, so I'm going to say bless your heart, right? That's That's what I feel like we do. So we get this unexpected blessing in our life. And we say, oh, the Lord has blessed us. And that's true. I believe every good thing comes from God. But that word Barak, bless, in verse 24, actually has a much deeper meaning. What that word uh, actually means is it carries the idea of kneeling before someone. It's a verb that means kneeling. Barak means to kneel before someone. So let's just take hold of this for a moment. For the Hebrew people, for God's people, it was this idea then of worshiping God by kneeling before him. Psalm 34, David said, I will bless Barak. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will kneel before him in worship. 
But this is God saying, the Lord bless you. I'm going to barach you. What does he mean by that? It's this idea of God bending down toward us, kneeling down in order to have relationship with us. The Lord bless you. This means God has in a unique way bent toward us to have relationship with us. It's a lot in that little word. The Lord bless you. He has knelt down. He has condescended. He has come down to have relationship with you. And he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. Well, what does it mean when God says, I will keep you? That word keep, it's the Hebrew word shamar. It means to guard, to protect, um, uh, to care for. Here's why that word is really important and really powerful. Because in the timeline of biblical history, when we get to number six, it was only a short while ago that God's people built a golden calf and worshiped it. This only, that was just a little bit ago. They, they, Moses was on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. They got tired of waiting for God to move, so they made a God with their own hands, and they worshipped it. And they broke their covenant. They broke their relationship with God. They sinned against Him and rebelled. And they are about to step into 40 years of wandering in the desert. 40 years of, of dealing with the consequence of their sin, having rebelled against God and broken their covenant with God, and yet before they take the first step in wondering, God says, I keep you. That's powerful. That's powerful. I'm keeping you. You're mine. I put my name on you. You belong to me. It's, this, it's God's way of saying that I will never abandon my people. I will never break covenant with my children, even when they walk out and don't keep up their end of the bargain. They're mine. They belong to me. There's some life in that for us today, right? The Lord keep you. Even when we don't keep up our end of the bargain. The Lord keep you. That was the nature of the covenant God made with his people. And it is the nature of the covenant we have with him in Christ. They were his people. He was their God. Here's what that meant. That even on their worst day, even on their golden calf worshiping day, they were not alone. They were not abandoned. They were not outcast. And they were not helpless because God kept them. So I want you to hear me. Even on your worst day, even on your golden calf worshiping day, when you've loved idols, when you've loved things more than God, when you've turned you, even on that day, you are not alone. You are not outcast. You are not helpless. And you are not hopeless because God has said, I keep you. That's a powerful little promise, isn't it? The Lord bless you. And keep you. Here's the next line. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Um, something important I want us to grab here. Every time you see the word you in this blessing, the Lord bless you. Um, the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. Every time you see the word you, it's in the singular, meaning that while God was speaking this blessing to the nation, there was something he wanted communicated into the heart of every one of his children. And it was this, I see you and I love you. I see you 
And I desire to have a relationship with you. I desire to give you my presence. I have grace for you. He said, let his face shine upon you. I want you to think about, try to, try to recall the last time you were standing in a room and having a conversation with multiple people, right? You can, well, think about this moment. I hope I'm talking to everybody in this room, but I can only look at one of you at a time, right? Unless y'all know a trick that I don't know. I can only, I can only look at one of you at a time. No matter how many people are, you're talking to, you can only give one of them your face at a time. And here is God saying, I see the two million of my people, but God said, I see each one. God sees you. He knows you intimately. He cares for you personally, and he blesses you individually. God sees the crowded room. He sees it, but he says, my face is shining toward you. I am, I am, I am blessing you by shining my face toward you. Now, what's, why is that language of talking about the face of God, so important. Because a face communicates, someone's face communicates their thoughts and their attitudes and their heart toward other people, right? How many of you have a face that tells on you, right? You, you, you don't mean for it to. You wish you could hide what was really going on, but your face just tells on you all the time, right? Um, Carrie tells me that when I cross a certain threshold of frustra frustration, I know you're looking at me and go, that's not possible. It happens. When I, <laughs> when I cross a, a certain threshold of frustration, she says an involuntary thing happens to my face, which is my eyebrow starts to go up and I can't stop it. So all of a sudden I've got this face and I look like, you know, the rock about to yell, do you smell what the rock is cooking because my eyebrow gets all jacked up. And she's like, I see your eyebrow. You're frustrated. I'm like, my eyebrows aren't doing anything. I am fine. Right? Because your face has a tendency to communicate your true thoughts and feelings. But here is God saying, I want you to see my face. I want you to see how I feel toward you. I want you to know my thoughts towards you. I want you to see the love and the grace and the favor that I have shining toward you and the pleasure I take in you because you're mine. Let his face shine to see his heart of love toward us. And be gracious to you. Is anybody in here thankful for the grace of God? What does God want to shine toward us? His grace, His unmerited favor. That thing we cannot earn and that thing we don't deserve. And I want you to hear me. It is God's delight to be gracious to you. It actually makes him happy to be gracious to you. How do I know that? I believe it's what his word teaches. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious. Meaning he is waiting. He is ready. He desires. He loves to be gracious. It says, Therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. Yet we have the grace of God because of the blessing of his presence. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you so that you would see the radiance of his love for you and be gracious to you. Third line, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
Again, we see this idea, lift his countenance upon you, this idea of God looking toward us, God giving his attention toward us. This idea is the, it's the picture of God taking us into his presence to see his face. And the picture that comes to my mind is the picture of a mother or a father taking the face of their child into their hand so that they can look at them and have joy in them and delight in them and take pleasure in them. That's what I think God means when he says, I want you to let my countenance be lifted. I want to lift your face so you can see me. When the Lord lifts his countenance upon us, it shows us his good for us, that he is looking out and on us for our good. Hear me, God is for your good. He is eternally for your good. Y'all aren't nearly excited enough about the reality that the Lord God of heaven and earth and the creator of the cosmos loves you enough to be for your good. Eternally, now and forever. He is for your good. He delights in you. I hope this is liberating what I'm about to say to somebody. You are not a disappointment to God, no matter where you are. You are not a disappointment to God. He delights in you. Because you bear his image. He delights in you. And he desires relationship with you through his son. One of the verses I spoke over my daughter all of her life. From the day she came into this world. Was Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. That says the Lord your God is with you. And he is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. And I spoke that word over her because I wanted her to know that her heavenly father delights in her, loves her, desires relationship with her. And what's the result of God now lifting his countenance upon us? He says, and give you peace. That is the Hebrew word shalom. Even, even now, Jewish people in greeting one another and saying bye to one another, they speak this word shalom, this peace of God, into one another's life. And listen, shalom, peace right here, is not the absence of hardship. The peace he's talking about is not the absence of difficulty or aggravation or frustration. Parents, you're going to get all of those things raising your children. And in the absence of hardship, it's peace within it. It's peace as you walk through it. That's the shalom peace of God. And it's supernatural. It's why Paul says in Philippians, it's a peace that passes what? People don't even can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense that there would be peace in moments of chaos. Paul goes, that's right, because it's a supernatural peace. And that's what God wants to pour out. Lift his countenance upon you and give you shalom. Peace. And I love that that word peace is this blessing ends with that. Um, because I believe the peace of God is the fruit of a life lived in the blessing of God. The peace of God, true peace in your heart, is the fruit of a life lived being kept by God. 
I believe that peace is the sum of all God's blessings for us. The Lord bless, condescend down, come down, kneel to have relationship with you, bless you, and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you so that you would know his love and his delight for you. And be gracious to you, give you his unmerited favor that you could not earn. And the Lord lift his countenance upon you, holding your face in his hand, and give you supernatural shalom. So again, I want to take us back to the question. What would it look like to give this blessing to our children, to our grandchildren, to our nieces and our nephews? How do we help them live in this blessing as we parent them toward the benediction, the the, the sending out? How do we do it? I think there's three ways that we help our children. Here's the first one. We have to help them see Jesus as the source of the blessed life. We have to help them see Jesus as the source of the blessed life. I want you to notice who's doing the blessing in this scripture. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. It's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Three times in these verses, we see the repetition of God's covenant name. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Old Testament, when you see that all caps, it is a reference to the covenant name of God, Yahweh, which God gave himself. And when you see something like that repeated, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, it is communicating something very important. And here it is emphasizing that the Lord is the source of blessing. Aaron the priest was not the source of blessing. It was the Lord who was the source of blessing. So parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, would you hear me for a moment? You are not the primary source of blessing in the life of your children. You are not meant to be the primary source of blessing. You are meant to be the primary pointer to the source of blessing. God, the Lord, is the source of blessing. And here's what the New Testament teaches us, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Bible says God has given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. The Lord is the source of blessing. Jesus is the source of blessing. And if Jesus is Lord, he is the fulfillment of this blessing of God, which means I can't know this blessing apart from relationship with Jesus. Come on, it got to be another way. God loves everybody. Yeah. But God gave Jesus so that he could know you personally. God gave Jesus so he could call you out of darkness. God gave Jesus so he could satisfy you and fill you and bless you and give you grace and keep you and pour peace into your life in a way that you will not have apart from Christ. Jesus is the source of the blessed life. And as I've looked at these verses... You know, every, every time you preach a sermon like this, I don't know if y'all know this, sometimes it's hard to preach in front of your family with your kids sitting in a room, you know, because I know exactly what you need to be doing at your house, and my sons are sitting back there going, yeah, how you doing, Bubba? How's that going over on Hickory Hill Road where you live, big dog, you know? 
It's hard sometimes. And it's been hard this week. Because I've had to ask myself, am I being effective as a parent? Am I effective as a parent if I teach them how to be successful and how to be popular? And how to have power. But I don't teach them that all of those things pale in comparison to a life surrendered to Jesus. If I teach my children how to be successful and not walk with Christ, I have failed them, I have failed the kingdom, and I will answer. Culture is already teaching them every day that they leave our homes. Culture is teaching them life is found in possession. Life is found in power. It's found in popularity and position and prestige. That's where life is found. It's found in what you have. It's found in you doing what you want, when you want, how you want, buy what you want, say where you want, say what you want, go where you want. Nobody tells you what to do. That's life. Live it on your terms. The problem with that is Jesus said, I am life. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. This blessing of God cannot be known in this life outside of relationship with Jesus. And I think there's people in this room trying to find the blessing of God and you're trying to figure out a way to get there without Christ. Hear me say, with all the love in my heart, there is no way. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I love how some of these beautiful things line up. Just think, indulge me for a moment. The Lord bless you and keep you. I believe it's Romans 8 that says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is Jesus who keeps us. The Lord be gracious to you. In John chapter 1, John said, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, we have received grace upon grace. Jesus. The Lord give you peace. Paul said that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He made peace. He gave peace. He is peace. He's the source of blessing. That's the first thing. We, we got to help our children see that. That Jesus is the source of blessing. Here's the second thing. We got to help them know how to walk in God's presence. We have to, have to help them know how to walk in God's presence. This, this blessing in number six is a picture of drawing near to God. The blessings that come from God that, that he gives uh, in his presence. And listen, this is something our children desperately need, but they will not stumble upon it by accident in their life. They need to know how to, they have to be taught how to walk in God's presence. It's something we have to teach them and model for them. We have to teach them how to engage the presence of God. We have to teach them what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to teach them how to pray and have hearts of worship, how to live in fellowship with God in His presence. It has to be modeled for them. I think every parent loves Proverbs 22, 6, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even if he is old, he will not depart from it. 
We love that. And the number of parents that I have heard say, well, I tried to teach them right and wrong. The Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. I tried to teach them right and wrong. Just do it and do it, right? The problem is that verse is more than teaching right and wrong. It isn't about trying to show them how to be a good person. It isn't even about bringing them to, to church. The heart and hope of Proverbs 22.6, training them up in the way they should go, is that our children see us seeking God. Our children see us pursuing God, living in His presence, filled with His Spirit, hearing His voice, completely surrendered to Him. And in seeing that joy-filled life of surrender, they learn to pursue God for themselves. Which means, my children are going to have to see me say no to things I want so I can say yes to the call of God on my life. And there are some parents in the room who struggle with that because even you measure your value by what you have, by how successful you are. And you are convinced the life I must build is a life where my children have everything they want. But in reality, teaching them to walk in God's presence means sometimes they say no to what they want so that they can embrace what is better and what God has for them. When they leave your house every day, they step into a culture that wages war on that truth. That is absolutely seeking to annihilate that truth in their life. Ready? That means you are the gatekeeper. You stand as the shepherd beating away the wolves. You guard the treasure of God's presence over your children by teaching them how to walk in the presence of God and by modeling for them that you have yet to discover any treasure in this life that compares to the presence of God. Ultimately, I want my children to bypass my voice for God's voice. I want that for them. I want the day to come where before they ask my advice, they have sought the heart of the Father. I want the day to come where they care about what I think, but not more than what they care about what God desires. I want them to bypass my voice for God's voice. I got to help them know how to walk in God's presence. Here's the last thing. We have to help them find their identity as the people of God. You've got to find their identity as the people of God. What do I mean by that? Look at the last verse. Look at verse 27. So he says, Aaron, you're going to speak this blessing over the people that I am blessing them. I'm bending toward them, making my face shine upon them, being gracious to them, giving them peace. You're going to speak this blessing of my presence on them. And this is what he says. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This blessing was for more than just making people's lives better. It was to identify them, set them apart as belonging to God. God's presence with them meant God's name on them. And our children need to know that in Christ, they have the name of the Lord on them. They have the name of the Lord on them, that in Christ they are set apart 
that he establishes their identity. God help if I don't send sons into the world who know that in Christ they don't lose themselves, they find themselves. I want to send children into the world who know that the culture cannot diminish the identity God has stamped on their life. How are they going to know that? i got to teach it to them. i got to shout the value and the intrinsic worth that God has put in them because he says, I'm with you. Which means I'm going to put something on you no person can take, no situation can diminish, no judgment from another person can even put a, 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 a scratch on it because they didn't put it there. I put it there. We've got to help them see their identity. Jesus, God said, you're going to speak this blessing on them, and that's going to put my name, that name of Yahweh, that covenant name, it's going to put my name on them. Everything in the culture that our children step into is geared toward making them believe they aren't enough. That they need a little more. They need to like the right thing. They need to wear the right stuff. They need to be liked by the right people. They need to have enough likes on whatever nonsense they just posted. It's telling them, you aren't enough unless you can check all the boxes. Here's the beauty of life in Christ and helping them find their identity in Him. What Jesus did for them was this. He measured up. He was enough. So that in Christ, they are enough. Have you ever questioned, parents, I'm talking to the adults in the room. Have you ever questioned why you were really here? <laughs> what you were doing on this earth? Can I tell you something? Your children wrestle and struggle with that same question. We have the responsibility to help them discover their true identity in Christ so that as they grow, and they will, and as those questions intensify, and they will, and as culture presses in on them, and it will, they have an identity and a confidence in who God says they are. We have to help them know their identity as the people of God. So what are some of those truths then that identify um, us with Christ? What are some of those truths about their identity in Jesus that you can begin to build in them today? You can start today. You don't got to read a self-help book. You don't got to go to a conference or a seminar. You can start doing it right now. What are some truths? This isn't an exhaustive list, but it is a great starting block of how you can begin to build their identity in Jesus. Here's the first one. They got to know they are loved by God. They have to know. You go, well, that's pretty simple. Yeah. Ask them if they feel that. They got to know they are loved by God. It can be difficult in the world they go into where everyone's love and acceptance is conditional. It can be difficult to hold on to God's unconditional love. So they have to know they're loved by God. And that the greatest demonstration of that love was Christ. They got to know they're loved. They have to know they are forgiven in Jesus. This is a big one. They have to know that regardless of any mistake they make, 
because of Jesus, they have forgiveness. Your children are going to have golden calf worshiping days. They're going to have moments where they sin against you, sin against others, and sin against God. And on that day, they will either stumble into hopelessness or they will remember that they are forgiven in Jesus. They got to know that truth. I want my children to know that their heavenly father does not evaluate them on whether or not they get it right every time. He evaluates them on what Christ did for them. So that when God looks at them, God sees Jesus and they are accepted. They got to know they're forgiven. Boy, I got a whole nother sermon brewing, but I know what time it is. And your mamas are hungry and they're ready for lunch. If they're forgiven in Jesus, parents, that means we can't use their mistakes as leverage. You can't hold where they messed up over them. That doesn't mean we don't have a season of discipline. Of course we do. God took his children through 40 years of discipline. But it means we don't parent from shame. We parent with redemption in mind. They're forgiven in Jesus, which means they're forgiven in us, right? Here's the third thing. They need to know they are called to great things. They need to know they are called to great things. At New Beginnings, we have some values. One of those is every person has value, and another one is every believer is called. God has a call to greatness on the life of your child. And your children need to know they're called to great things. They aren't called to a mediocre life. And that has nothing to do with how much they make or who's their buddy. It has to do with are they going to live making an impact for the kingdom. And every believer is called to great things. And your children need to know that. That God has knit them together with something great for the kingdom in mind. Here's what that means for me. It means I may have to let go of the dream I dreamed for them so that they can go say yes to what God wants to do. Some of you are building a life into your child because you think they're the next big thing in fill in the blank. What would it look like for you to let go of the dream you're putting on them so that they can say yes to the call to greatness God has on their life? And that's an act of surrender that is supernatural because here's what I know. The call that God has on my life and on the life of my children may very well mean that he calls them away from me to serve somewhere where I don't get to see them. Would I say yes to that? It may very well mean he calls them to a life of poverty and hardship to advance the gospel. Could I say yes to that? What if he calls them to a life of persecution and danger and risk to advance the kingdom? Could I say yes to that? children are called to great things and they need to know it right loved by God forgiven in Jesus called to great things here's the last one they got to know they aren't alone they are in God's family they got to know they're in God's family they got to know that as they live this call out live on mission seek the kingdom love God first they aren't alone there are people with them who love them 
So again, here's the question. What would it look like for this blessing to be the sending benediction established in the hearts of your children? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take just a few moments in, in worship together. And we're going to sing that song, The Blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. And we're going to sing it for the children we have now, but I want you to sing it and sing that blessing over your children's children. For a thousand generations down the line of your family, you are singing to claim the blessing of God on the generations you'll never meet. And we're going to say the word amen over and over. And that word is not to say we're done praying. That word is to say, I agree. Make that happen. I want to receive that blessing. Yes, Lord. What I say is what I desire. Amen. Make that so in my life. That's what we're saying. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And as you're standing, we're going to worship. If your family is with you this morning, I want you to just get near to them. Just get close. And let this blessing be a, a, a blessing that you sing on them and pray on them for the next few minutes. Lord bless you and keep.